Hey, it's Brian. Looking for your dream job in the sport industry? Have you ever imagined yourself as an athletics administrator, a game day event coordinator, or perhaps a general manager? You can be an all-star in any organization with a degree from East Stroudsburg University's COSMA accredited sport management program. Earn your undergraduate and graduate degrees with guidance from our experienced faculty, gain hands-on skills, meet industry professionals, and become part of a winning team. ESU has the only COSMA accredited graduate program in Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. For more information, visit esu.edu slash smgt. One more time, esu.edu slash smgt. East Stroudsburg University, where warriors belong. Ooh, I like that. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. It's one thing to have a good idea, and quite another to turn that idea into a reality. This thought kept bouncing around in my head last week as I prepared to interview today's guest, Eric Stark, co-founder of Slate. Now, Slate is a sports and entertainment social media tool that we'll be talking a lot about today. But let's give this some context. We've all had jobs where we identified issues, a problem with a workflow, an inefficient tech solution, a supply chain issue. This moment of discovery doesn't make us unique. We all see problems that need solving all around us. Awareness is pretty common. The better question is, what do you do with this information? As I see it, there are two distinct paths, complain or solve. Now, just to be clear, this isn't me being preachy and simplifying issues down to a right way and a wrong way and shaming you all for not picking the right way enough. Let's be really super clear. I've done my share of complaining over the years really loud so everyone in the back could hear me. This is a normal part of the human condition. We don't always know how to fix things, so sometimes we complain in order to motivate others with the power to fix things and to take action. I mean, am I right? Does that sound familiar? Sure does to me. When I was a production assistant just starting out my career, I would complain about our editing system loud enough for the boss to hear in hopes she would do something about it. It was like a cry for help. Not exactly mature or professional, but I was young and trying to affect change in the way I knew how. But you know what really impresses me? Someone who can identify a problem and then has the entrepreneurial ambition to solve it, like legit create a solution. So let's get into this Eric Stark story. Eric worked in the NFL for seven years, digital account coordinator with the league, digital media manager with the Chiefs, digital and social media strategist with the Niners, then back to the league offices to be the director of international marketing and content strategy. Career path on the rise, like this guy is going places. During this journey, In the digital and content space, Eric found many problems with the process. Getting social media moments out to the audience fast and with proper branding had a lot of friction points. It took too long. It involved too many people, all kinds of areas for failure. So he didn't complain. Well, maybe he did at some point. I can't confirm or deny that. I wasn't there. But that doesn't fit my story right now. So we'll stick with he didn't complain. He set out to fix he began developing his own solution to sports social media process friction, 
with three co-founders, his squad, you could say, which resulted in Slate, which you can investigate later at slateteams.com. Now, as I stated earlier in this intro, it's one thing to have an idea, like to and identify the problem, understand that it exists, but it's quite another to execute it well and turn it into a reality. Eric and his team identified the problem, lived it, right? They lived it for a while in their jobs and understood why this really needed fixing, but they identified it, they solved it, and now they have teams like the Golden State Warriors, Denver Broncos, NYCFC, Premier Lacrosse League, Atlanta Falcons, Ole Miss, and many more using their product in their social media efforts. That's the overview. Now let's jump into the details with Eric Stark, COO and co-founder of Slate. Hey, Eric, what's happening? Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited for this conversation. I tend to be a little bit of a, a tech dork, and yet I'm not always an early adapter, but I like to learn about stuff. So this is a really fun conversation because we can really get into the entrepreneurial side and the tech side and where we're headed in the sports industry. So thanks a ton for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's dig into this. After graduating from UC Santa Barbara, you worked for the Kansas City Chiefs. You worked for the San Francisco 49ers. You worked for the NFL League offices. You were the director of international marketing and content strategy for the NFL. These are huge roles. These are dream jobs. And yet you said to yourself, eh, let's go the entrepreneur route. Let's start a business from scratch. <laughs> so um, we'll start with a simple question. Are you insane? <laughs> I Maybe. I guess time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> What made you want to do it? Like, what made you say, like, I'm in the midst of a great career path, a great career arc, and I just want yeah. to start something different? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, you know, I I spent nearly a decade at the NFL, and I got to do a lot there. Um, and, you know, I, even, though, even though I kind of had established a career there, I, I had done a lot of different roles. Um, I wasn't kind of on one path. So I started on the digital media side, working with all 32 clubs on the digital platform that the NFL kind of oversees for all the clubs. So I got like broad exposure that way into digital media, into how clubs operate, into how the league operates. And then I went to two different clubs, like you mentioned, the Chiefs and the Niners. So I really got to see it from the other side like how a club manages its digital presence and social presence and how it engages with its fan base. And it was right at a time when social media was like starting to blossom. Um, so I got to kind of see that evolve where, you know, your Facebook page became more important than your homepage. Um, and then I went back to the NFL and did international marketing. So a totally different kind of role within the league and one unlike you know sports like the nba it wasn't as established um so it was a really interesting niche to be in almost like a more high growth area within the nfl that's all to say i got to experience a lot within my time at the nfl and you know it wasn't that i was necessarily just looking for a change at the time i have always wanted to do something on my own like start my own company and it's funny, my co-founder um, now, um, Michael Horton, he he and I worked together at the 49ers. He was a video producer there. So that was back in like 2013. And I remember like after work, we would go like grab beers and just get notebooks out and just like write ideas down. Like we would just like always want to talk about like, okay, if we started a company, like what would it be? Um, 
and I was never one to be, you know, there's certain, I guess, like entrepreneurial types that are just going to like start a company. It's going to like fail. Then they're going to start the next one and just like keep like, I guess, like throwing something against the wall until it sticks. Like I'm not that risky, I guess, like where I would never have done it if it wasn't an idea I wasn't like super passionate about and like believed in like right from the get go. So all that kind of came together with what we're doing now. Um, and it, you know, the other piece of it that made it easier for me to jump is Michael was already working with a few folks on a different startup. And basically they built our idea pretty quickly because they had the infrastructure to do it. So, you know, normally, you know, you have an idea and like you would have to find a developer and figure out and invest some money up front to like get it done. Um, him and I kind of brainstormed the idea for Slate um, and it kind of was based off of something that he had heard um, in this startup he was working on and yeah they built like a prototype really quickly and once you can kind of see and hold your idea in your hand you're like okay this is something that I could actually get behind um, so yeah it was kind of the the perfect storm of things that came together you know in my personal life I was also moving um, this was pre-pandemic when like working remotely obviously wasn't um, as uh, established. Although I did have an opportunity to work remotely a bit for the NFL, but just something about like moving, you know, to a different state. I moved from California to, to Oregon to be um, with my fiance, who's a physician up here. Um, it just was a good time to make a change um, in, in that. It was a good time to take a, a risk too. Um, so. Yeah, all that kind of came together. And the cool thing is I still work with the NFL and NFL teams and still feel yeah. like I'm kind of uh, in that in that world. Yeah, those relationships must matter a lot. And we'll get into we'll get into Slate and the mechanism behind it and how you got to where you are now. That's an exciting part of this conversation. I can't wait to wait to dig into. But I, I'm always intrigued by initial stories, you know, like how people got that first opportunity. I think our audience also leans that way too. We have a lot of young people in our audience that are trying to figure out their fit, where they go in the industry. Mm -hmm. And you hear something like you started at the NFL and that is a, that's a pretty big moment. Like you can look back and say like, wow, that's a, that's a life-changing kind of moment to start somewhere like that and to get that going. Let's go back to that first job out of college. You're a digital media coordinator. What do you remember most about the process of job searching? Like I said, you were at UC Santa Barbara. You yeah. kind of had these visions for what you wanted for yourself. And then the NFL starts like showing interest. Like what was that whole process like for you and that kind of initial phase of the uh, your entry into the sports market? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, really, there's two things that I think helped me get that job out of college. Um, and like one of them, I guess, is lucky and the other was a little bit of preparation. So um, the first like is that throughout throughout my college life, I I worked really hard to get internships that um, that made my resume look more robust than it than it was, I guess. Um, or, you know, it made my resume more attractive than I guess <clears throat> what would normally happen outside of, or from a college student. So, um, I inter I got an internship at universal, like focus features. I had an internship at, um, Turner sports. I had other internships within like the media department at, 
um, UC Santa Barbara, I, I had thought I wanted to get into marketing for uh, motion pictures and like go work in that industry and do marketing for movies. So a lot that sounds of pretty, that sounds work, pretty cool too, right? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was the path that I thought, or like that I had kind of in the back of my head is like, this could be, you know, bring together a few like passions of mine. Um, but I really, I really made sure to build my resume. So it had kind of corporate work experience before I got out of college. And in my senior year, I basically just had as many informational conversations as I could have with anybody in any sort of company that I was mildly interested in, you know? Um, and it just so happened that my, one of my roommates and one of my best friends to this day from UC Santa Barbara, his sister worked at the NFL. So I was like, oh, you gotta put me in touch with your sister. You gotta put me in touch with your sister. We had a, we had a good call. It was about seven months before I graduated. Um, you know, she was like, we don't really, aren't hiring any sort of entry level positions and I don't really know if there would be, but she gave me really good advice and I just stayed in touch with her and I kept asking her for different points of advice and she was she was just very generous with her time with me and with her kind of mentorship. And then it just so happened like right before I graduated, they were looking to hire basically a seven month contractor. It was better than an internship, but less than a full-time job. Um, so I jumped at that opportunity and she was like, I can get you your resume to, to our, um, to our team and that was kind of the foot in I needed you know I ended up getting an interview and then because of I think the strength of my experiences um, you know I was able to get that job and the seven months kind of turned into the career at the NFL so it, it really was lucky that I knew I knew her basically <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, I love that combination, though, of like yeah. knowing things, having some experience and knowing people, you know, and, and having that network. And those two things, when they come together, make you pretty powerful. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you got to take advantage of kind of any little connection that you may have. Um, a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, you've probably heard this advice from other people on this podcast and for people listening that are younger and looking to break in a lot of people are willing to have informational conversations with you in the industry and those things could lead somewhere. And if anything, you're going to get good advice from those people, but every kind of conversation leads to the next one. Um, and I had many other informational conversations, um, that didn't lead to any sort of jobs. And this was just kind of the one that, that worked out. Um, yeah. It is such a good point, and I don't think, I, I feel like it's kind of that secret weapon that not enough people talk about is the informational interview type of process because, and not to go too far down this path, but you have the chance of learning things from somebody, right? Yep. And you have the chance of presenting yourself as someone who's smart and attached to the media, to the industry and understands what's going on and asking good questions. It's like you can present yourself well, which could lead to something, and you can learn things, which can help you. It's like there's no exactly. downside in doing informational interviews. Totally, and if you, like, you know, all you have to do is ask and someone, you know, could say no, but you, I think people would be surprised at how many executives would say yes to a college student hitting them up and saying, look, I'm so interested. I heard you on a podcast, really interested in what you're doing. Would you spare 30 minutes and just like talk to me about how I could break in? Um, a lot of people will say yes to that because, you know, bad they news, you're going to get a lot of requests now. 
I, I <laughs> You're going to get a lot of people reaching out to you asking for that now. We'll see who does. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Somebody's got to take the bait, right? We're, we're telling you to do it. Uh, okay, so I mentioned, and this is something that just fascinates me, and I know that you are in a different space now, but I mentioned you were a director of international marketing with the NFL and content strategy. How important is that the global lens on sports? It still feels like something that is a massive growth opportunity for our sports world as we know it, and it's still waiting to be fully realized. Like, what were your big takeaways during that part of your career dealing with this international market and seeing the potential there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely exciting and eye opening to, to learn about the international sports landscape. Um, I mean, I wasn't really a soccer, AKA kind of football follower before that, but you learn pretty quickly when you're the NFL trying to grow in Europe that you are not popular at all <laughs> and that you really have work to do to break in. And, but also how big the opportunity is. Like we made some really good, um, good progress in countries like Germany. The team we have in China does a lot with a little um, to really push and grow the league there. And the opportunity is so big that any little progress that you make is important for the business. And it's kind of, you know, it, in some ways it was a cushy position to be in because there's only upside, right? Um, we started from, you know, very, um, th there's some established fans, especially in the UK from everything that's had been going on there. but. You know, in these other countries, Brazil was one of them, too, where we saw, you know, a lot of interest and a lot of growth pretty quickly in the last five years that really there's only upside. And, um, you know, it's it's worth the investment, basically, um, to go into these markets and try to grow the game because sports is so popular all over the world. And um there's a place for more sports in people's lives. It's It's just... The, the NFL in particular is a very complicated sport if you haven't grown up with it. Um, so it's not, it's not easy to consume kind of passively if you don't know the rules. So there's a lot of challenges to the NFL over, you know, sports like the NBA um, internationally. One being the complexity of the game. The second being the game stopping and starting, which uh, fans in Europe definitely aren't used to with um, soccer or the other football. And the last one being, you know, everyone's covered up by helmets and pads, so you really can't see the individuals. Um, and it, it, it isn't as, you can't make as much of an emotional connection with the superstars as you do, you know, with LeBron or uh, Messi and their face kind of in full screen when you're watching on TV. It's so funny you mentioned the game itself being somewhat of an impediment because I have three young kids and there'll be times where I'm watching football and it's something I've grown up with. It's something I've watched all my life and worked in and done everything with. And so it just logically makes sense to me. Right. And I'll be trying to explain things to them. And I'm like, and they're like, well, why, why are there four downs? Why do they have to go 10 yeah. yards? Why do they run in the middle? Like they're asking all these questions and I'm like, these are really good questions. I'm not sure how to answer them. Why is it five yards for that penalty? Why is it 15 for that one? And I'm totally. like, great questions. I don't have any answers for you. <laughs> so I can yeah. understand why that would be an impediment in growing uh, internationally. But like you said, huge opportunity. Uh, I want to talk about Slate because this excites me. Uh, incredible social media tool being used throughout the sports industry. You guys are growing rapidly. You have a lot of teams that you're working with. And we'll get into that. 
as a content guy myself, I love digging into productivity style tools of working more efficiently, but I'm also fascinated with the ideation process. Um, does it really help and did it really kick it off that you're working in digital media, you're working in social communities, you understand where those problem areas are? Did that help you identify the problem that Slate could fix? And is that where it all kind of took off from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I mentioned, you know, my, we have, we have uh, four co-founders total. One of my co-founders, Michael Horton, and I, you know, work together at the Niners. So he, we both he was a video producer and I was a social media manager. So we kind of lived that problem. I would ask him to make sure any video he sends us for social is cut in one by one square for Instagram feed, or it's optimized in, you know, nine by 16 for Snapchat, or like, Hey, we need to start incorporating, you know, more overlays and more things. And, and it would go back and forth between us because he was the video producer and I was the one posting social content. And, you know, that kind of problem only increased as more and more content got posted on social media, you know, in the years that followed and more platforms, you know, came out. And when I was at the NFL, I was still doing a lot of social content and I had to do a lot of it myself from my phone, um, you know, at international games in London you know, at different events, creating content for um, the different channels that we were managing or sending it to the folks who manage content internationally. Uh, and I, I found myself trying to edit and produce content on the fly. And, you know, it wasn't kind of in that moment that I thought uh, that this tool would be helpful, but it was in a later moment when, when Michael and I were talking about a conversation he had through his other company with, with a brand that said they wanted to be able to, you know, type in their own fonts on top of video and photo. Uh, and it kind of just clicked from there, like, you know, not just your own fonts, basically everything you could do in social media, overlays, stickers, GIFs, quick video edits, everything that's now native to platforms like TikTok and Instagram stories, like how they allow consumers to produce content with ease that is, you know, fun and has a ton of creative elements to it, a brand should be able to do that with all of their creative elements, not the creative elements that Instagram gave you. And, and when we talked about that, I thought about when I worked at the 49ers, how, how helpful that would have been to have. Um, and he understood that too, based on his experience within sports and social media um, and on the video editing side being being a producer. So um, definitely couldn't have done it without or wouldn't have really thought of the idea without having had the experience, um, you know, beforehand. And then also the experience beforehand helped us break into these markets, right? So we had connections and teams and leagues and we could really test our, you know, it sounded great to us, but do other social media teams that you know, in sports and otherwise feel the same. And we were lucky enough to be able to get those people on the phone pretty quickly. And then we realized, oh yeah, this is a pain point that we're solving for them. Um, and it's something that, you know, makes sense to, to keep doing. 
So when I even think about our content marketing process or our social processes or all those things, I see all these friction points, you know, like, like you said, this exchange of information or it's got to go through this process, got to go through that process. What I hear you saying is Slate takes away a lot of those friction moments so that things can move faster. Is that how you kind of explain it? Take us through like a, 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 a personal viewpoint of like, okay, you're working in social for the Baltimore Ravens or for some team that you have a client relationship with. Um, what is that experience like for them using Slate? Just like kind of walk us through it and talk, talk us through the, the functionality and how it can increase productivity. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I guess at a high level, you know, there's more content being posted in more places than ever before for any kind of entity, whether it's a sports team, a podcast studio, um, or any sort of brand. You know, you have to be always on on. Twitter, Instagram, now TikTok is becoming something you can't really ignore. Every different platform is including a stories element. So there's a high volume of, of things to program content for. But, you know, the tools to create content haven't really caught up. So still using Photoshop, still using Adobe Premiere, which really is built to edit feature length films to create short form social content. So really, we we say that Slate is a content creation platform for the social media era. Um, it takes all the things you want from these kind of heavy duty uh, platforms like controlling your branding and creating something that only, you know, is custom to you, but in a way that's quick, as quick and easy as producing natively within Instagram stories. So the way that it works is it's it's a mobile app and a web platform and the mobile app is kind of a content creation experience that really is similar to what you find natively in stories or Snapchat, right? You're able to swipe over to filters. You could pull up your stickers drawer and add a sticker tap to start typing over video on the screen. You know, it's really quick and easy and anyone who, anyone who uses social media would know how to use our app but it's powered by the web platform where a brand like you mentioned the Ravens would upload all of their creative elements. So they could control the fonts that show up in the app. They could upload new stickers or GIFs, delete anything they want at any time, add new filters and overlays. And it's, it's basically like if Instagram stories was custom to the Ravens um, and they're able to produce quickly for their phone, optimize it for any platform at any size, and then post it. And I think the key is it looks like social media, like it looks native um, because these elements, you know, are native. So a lot of times, you know, people will use Giphy within Instagram stories to add a sticker or, you know, try to make their font highlight within that Instagram color wheel kind of look like their brand's colors. Uh, but you can't get it just right. Like Instagram isn't built for that. It's built for you the masses to be able to produce, not for brands to be able to customize. So really it brings kind of the best of both worlds, we think in terms of your content's gonna look authentic to like the platforms that you're posting to, but also stay true to your brand. And, you know, you could still own those moments that may be, you know, harder to produce um, in real I time. I love it. I love it. I think it's so cool just to have like your brand kit with you at all moments and be able to exactly. work with agility. Uh, and cause exactly. I think that's the frustration for so many of us in content creation is to 
go through that process. You know, it's like, oh, I got to jump over to Photoshop now, or I got to jump over to Premiere, I got to do something on After Effects or whatever. By then, the moment's kind of lost. It's like that real-time ability to act quickly is just so powerful. Okay, so it's one thing to have a great idea. It's quite another to execute it well. When you look back now, and I know you're still early phase in Slate, but you've got clients, you've got teams you're working with, you've got leagues that are working with your product because it's good, right? It works for them. As you look back now, what were the key moments in taking Slate from this good idea that you and Michael Horton sit around at a bar writing down on a napkin or whatever to an actual formalized product that you can go to a team, you can go to a league and say, this is it this is why you want it and have them say yeah we do we see it yeah i mean that was one of the big kind of benefits that at least i had stepping into this and really it 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 comes down to my three co-founders michael um, yuri and will who were them three were working on a different product for the year before a year and change before slate um, so they had built a mobile app and it was um, a B2C SMS texting app where you can kind of text in different fonts. Okay. Um, so they they were working on something already and basically kind of the the impetus of Slate like came out of a conversation they had with a brand and a conversation that Michael and I then had afterwards. And Michael took that back, you know, all that information that he had learned from the brand. And then when we had talked and said, wow, this is something that could be really impactful, especially in sports, basically took it back to, to his team there and they spun up a version of it really quickly. Um, Cause they already were, like I said, you know, building kind of a product and a lot of the infrastructure or some of the infrastructure from that product was used to create Slate. Um, so, you know, Yuri, who's our CTO and, and he was the developer, he he's basically a genius and just built it really <laughs> that always quickly. helps, right? Um, yeah, so all of a sudden, <laughs> and like I mentioned, like I just kind of was spitballing the idea with Michael and it felt like, you know, a few weeks, maybe it was a month or so later, you know, he was sending me a prototype of the app. I was like, what? Like, this yeah. is crazy, you know? So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, we had something to then go um, knock on doors with and show teams and get um, feedback from and kind of it, it went from there but yeah really the kind of infrastructure that those three guys laid laid and then you know being able to take an idea basically pivot what they were doing before to to this which was totally different b2b like totally different type of business um, really allowed us to get a product like out there quickly and then just build on it from there and yeah we keep you know, Yuri, Yuri is a machine, basically. Um, people might be surprised at like how much he was able to build himself before we started hiring other developers. It's amazing and it's an important part of a team, I think, is that somebody that can translate ideas to actual technical deployment, 
right? It's like, we all have ideas. We all come up with stuff. And that's the 80-20 rule, right? It's like 20% the idea and 80% the actual execution of it. Um, And and so to have that person on your team is absolutely invaluable. Um, I was thinking as I was kind of preparing for this conversation, I was researching into Slate and I was looking into a lot of things you had accomplished. And I thought back to uh, about seven years ago, I was interviewing for a job at a pretty well-known sports network to be their VP of production. And their CEO, as I'm doing the interview, he says to me, so, you know, what would our content look like if you were in charge? And I was very adamant about behind the scenes content, stuff doesn't people don't see, really getting beyond highlights and news. And I swear, I watched his face just go blank. Like, I think he was scared to death that I was even thinking about doing that kind of thing because yeah. his part, you know, you could picture the partners being like the broadcast partners, the teams being like, no way, we don't want any part of that. But things mm-hmm. have changed. And that is an appetite. That is an area that people want to see more and deal more with. How does Slate play into that? Because I saw on your case studies and some of the things on your website, I mean, so much of what you're able to create are those moments that nobody else is able to see. And that's what makes it special, right? Isn't that what content should be driving towards, especially in sports, these visuals that just don't, aren't so obvious and available to everyone? Totally. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you know, as a brand these days, the content that's going to set you apart from others is the level of access that you have and kind of showing behind the curtain, basically, especially in sports, right? It's not about who has the most expensive camera and who could like produce like the best kind of hype video. It's about you are the only one who has access to walk in the tunnel behind the quarterback, like on his way out. And, and you're not gonna get that anywhere else. Or you're the only one that has access to inside the facilities on a Wednesday and guys are walking around before practice. And that, that idea extends way beyond sports too, right? This idea that people want to see what it's like behind the scenes at brands. If you're, I don't know, a big brand doing a photo shoot or a commercial, like Instagram stories is there for you to be showcasing that behind the scenes. Other platforms are there for you to post the fully produced piece, right? But but social media is there for you to show how the sausage gets made basically and give a personality to your brand that you couldn't do before these platforms existed. Um, and really like Slate lets, lets brands create that content that's optimized for social with ease. So it doesn't become another production to do the behind the scenes production. Um, And I think this appetite for kind of real time, authentic behind the scenes kind of raw content isn't gonna go away. And it's it's the reason why, and I keep saying stories, which isn't the the only focus, but obviously it's like a big driver of this. It's, it's the reason why you're seeing this stories format kind of explode everywhere is because people like that ephemeral content and they want to basically see what it's like, you know, behind the person's phone lens that's there and has access to places and people that they don't have access to. And the good thing about that is it's cheap to produce that content. All you need is to be in the room and to start recording on your phone. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to control your brand when you're producing from your phone, which is where, which is where we come in. Um, but I totally agree with you that that content, you know, is, shouldn't be overlooked and is only going to be more important and valuable, I think, in the next five years. 
Yeah, I always look, as I mentioned earlier, I have I have three young kids, so I have three under 13, and I always kind of look to them for what their, what their generation is into as far as it goes with content. And they'll watch Marvel movies, but then they'll watch tons of videos of the actors behind the scenes and them goofing around and them out of costume. And I'm always thinking, like, that's the access people want because then it makes the characters more human, which gets to the NFL especially where you're saying where so often we see them in helmets and gear, and you don't really understand who they are or feel that natural connection to them. So those opportunities to show off those other moments, you know, are just so powerful and needs to be continually tapped into. So if the pandemic has made one thing really clear, if you ask me, it's that the big four sports leagues have been heavily dependent on the in-stadium experience and their revenue streams, right? So ticket revenue, suite sales, in arena sponsorship activations, and in addition to the media rights deals, they get a lot of money from media rights deals, of course, but that, that's kind of their dominant streams of revenue. But a team, and I've had this conversation with a lot of different people in sports, and they've, they, we've all acknowledged that a team may have a 20,000 seat arena, but their Twitter followers might be 2.5 million. You know, they might have 4 million Instagram followers or people on their, you know, they've just a lot more ways to reach people out there. Are teams, in your view, starting to diversify their revenue streams as well, especially over the last year, and figure out ways to monetize those social and digital followings? Because if you ask me, your product would play directly into that, an ability to sponsor content and get a brand out there that doesn't necessarily rely on butts in the seats at an arena or a stadium, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, sports has been forced to adapt to that in the past year. Um, and I think we've seen a lot more teams basically monetize their social media in ways that they probably wouldn't have done before the pandemic. Uh, it became, especially during kind of March, April, May, when none of these leagues were operating, it became their only touch point really to the outside world when you think about it. Um, so I think in general, social and digital, kind of the value of it within an organization, especially in sports, was amplified. And I think that's that's kind of a good outcome in the sports industry from what, um, what took place and obviously all the negative things that have come of it. It has accelerated innovation and accelerated, I think, the the way that these teams are valuing um, their social and digital platforms and that the way that they're they're monetizing and partnering with brands because it, it should be more valuable to sponsor something that year round could reach way more people than um, on social and digital than, you know, in stadium. Um, at least it should have a place to have its own value. Um, a lot of what I saw before the pandemic was social would be basically an add-on. So like you'd sell an in-stadium sponsorship and then there would be a box that was just like, you know, and you'll also get like 10 social posts. Like we'll just like throw that in there as like a cherry on top where now social is definitely being packaged and being sold as its own asset. Um, and I think teams are, are pleasantly surprised on the sales side at the value they can get from it. And on the content side that you know, it's not disrupting their content too much. Now, some social media managers may argue with that and say, you know, there's too much sponsored content and we don't want it to look like, 
you know, just all logo slaps everywhere. Um, but I think a lot of teams have gotten really creative this past year and found a really good balance between how do we monetize this content without it being overwhelming and not everything being sponsored? And how do we get creative with the things that we monetize so it doesn't feel like sponsored content? Um, one that comes to mind that I really like is the Arizona Coyotes did um, like a morning skate uh, piece of content. So they always record, it's just warm ups basically that happen in, in hockey. Um, and it's just shot on a phone and they record it and they post it on stories and they post it to other platforms, but they designed a really good filter uh, with their own branding. It says like morning skate and it has a kind of a coffee cup in the, in the middle. And it's kind of like their own moment. Like they now kind of own that moment. That's like their morning skate. That's how it's almost like a, a little chapter for them in their social media day, like a sub brand. And of course they went and got that sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts and it just works really well. Um, they created the asset, they basically made it into a content series by posting it consistently, and then they took it to a partner and got it sold. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that I think really makes sense in today's day and age, especially for sports, is that's that's a moment that you own as a brand, and it's as easy as capturing it on your phone, and obviously, like with Slate, as easy as like swiping over to a filter, um, and now you can get that sold and it's not like, hey, we need to think of a whole new TV show to create to bring sponsors in. Like it's just, you know, a quick, a quick uh, record on your on your iPhone and you're you're giving sponsors value because they're the only ones that have access to morning skate. Like fans can't go in there and, and get that content. So that's exclusive to them and something that they could that they could monetize. So I really liked that example as kind of a a perfect combination of things that were, are working during this time. I love that idea of owning your moments, those things that only you can access, that fans aren't at, that no mm -hmm. the media might not be at or whatever else. I mean, I just, I love that idea of capitalizing on those moments and then partnering with, with sponsors. It just makes so much sense. And you're, you're hitting the right market too. You're hitting the right demographic. You're hitting a youthful audience that is going to be looking at and watching that. And it's just, it's so smart. Uh, Eric, this has been awesome. I'm so excited to learn more about Slate and see how you guys continue to grow. We'll finish up with this. I read an interview with you, um, and this is totally on a tangent. This is a totally different subject, but I'm, 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 happy, I'm excited to talk about it. I read an interview with you where you discussed the need for higher salaries in the sports industry for people starting out. And mm -hmm. I just lit up, like I couldn't agree more. I've ranted for years on this show about how frustrated I am with the fact that there's still a lot of people that don't do paid internships and that mm -hmm. that in and of itself, uh, you know, is, is, is unfair because it allows some people to it allows some people that can afford to work for free to get internships and get experience and other people that can't afford to work for free that need to make money don't get the experience they need um so i've ranted for a long time about paid internships across the board salaries that compare across other industries but throughout my career i've heard some version of you know you should just be happy to work in sports or anyone mm -hmm. would kill for your job or if we fired you we could hire somebody new tomorrow um which means i was threatened a lot throughout my career but why yeah. is it important in your mind and why did you bring this up in an earlier interview to change this mindset in sports and and bigger picture how do we do it yeah i mean i think you kind of you said it right there is you know that seems to be the underlying sentiment of like well you should just be you know thankful that you're able to work 
in this industry that everybody wants to clamor to get into. And it just doesn't lead to, you know, a healthy output, you know, and it's, it leads to individuals who are giving more to the organization than they're, than they're getting back and looking around at, you know, other folks within the organization who, especially on like the social and digital side. And I think it's, I think it's starting to get better, hopefully in that, you know, obviously there's not a lot of hiring happening right now, but I think going forward, social and digital will start to get get the value that it deserves within an organization and not just be kind of like a side thing for the intern to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, there's a lot of burnout that happens, especially on a sports team when, you know, if you're working on the social and digital team for a sports team, you're, you're working the same hours as the players and coaches, basically. Everything they're doing, you're covering, whether it's a press conference, a practice, a travel day, and that is, and then you're doing your job outside of covering what they're doing, right? So it really is six, seven days a week a lot of hours, a lot of output, and it's always on. Like you can never, you can never not be working. If there's a cr- an international crisis that happens, you have to worry about like what is happening on the social feeds that you manage. Like anything that happens is like your problem basically. And yeah, I think it's just, it's just crazy how undervalued, you know, coordinators, managers, interns are at these companies, at these teams and leagues, um, when really like they should have the money to pay people more and want to keep people happy and keep them around. And it's no surprise you see in sports, people jump around a lot. There's, it's very rare that somebody, it starts at one team and works their way up to the other team. Um, and I think, you know, if, you're a team executive and you want to have young talent that you keep um, and you want to compete with and get better young talent like you have to compete with companies in the tech space that are hiring you know at really good wages especially in big cities you know what I mean so I don't know I think the answer to it is probably at the the team level like an executive and probably just has to come from ownership to say this is the sort of salaries we want to pay our entry-level positions and we want to buck that trend and make it known that this is actually the place to come work at um, because we're valuing we're valuing our you know, our young workforce and you're going to get a lot more talent clamoring to come if, um, if you build that reputation. Um, yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense compared to other industries that, that happens. I don't know why, I don't know why I think it's kind of just a relic and like, it's hard to change something like that. Um, but it, it is pretty crazy, at least when, when I had like insight into that sort of thing, the type of um, the type of compensation that a lot of these people were making based on how much value they were adding to what what in essence is a pretty small organization um, that does a ton of business. There's not a lot of of individuals and headcount at these teams. 
It's so true. And you're preaching to the choir. I've felt this way for a long time too. And I hope that we can start changing some of those mindsets. Cause I know a lot of executives listen to the show. I know a lot of young people starting out in their careers have felt this frustration, uh, decision makers listen. And, and, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we can benefit others moving forward, because you're right. There's a dearth of, there will be a, a mind drain, a, uh, a creativity and innovation drain. If there isn't the money to follow, a lot of these people who are coming up in the industry, you're not going to get the best people. You're not going to get the most creative minds. You're not going to get the most innovative minds at this sports level if we're not compensating appropriately and, and on par with other industries, like you said, like tech. So hopefully this is something we can see as a business case just as much as anything else. And we can change that mindset. Eric, this is awesome. Uh, where can people learn more about Slate? Um, our website is slateteams.com and that's our Twitter handle as well. And on Instagram, we're slate.teams, because slate teams was taken, I believe. I think we need to How hit dare Instagram they? about that. Yeah. Uh, although I think no one's using it, so we may be able to grab that. And then <laughs> just force we're, we're going uh, to be launching a TikTok account, too, as well, to, um, to be sharing some like industry tips and tricks and, and trying to do more there. So we'll be slate teams on TikTok as well. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's such a cool product that I know will continue to grow and reach into the sports industry and get more teams on board. So thanks for telling us a lot more about it. Thanks, Brian. Big thanks to Eric for coming on the show. I do. I am a bit of a dork, as you could probably tell in there, for marketing and efficiency tools. Anything that makes things work better and smarter and faster than they should or they do currently really excites me. I like learning new tools. I like using them to be productive. So this was a really fun conversation. I will also be honest. I've had ideas before that I've tried to execute and start my own business. It is hard. I've had tons of ideas that I've tried to launch with co-founders and my wife at times and other projects that we really felt passionate about. We really knew solved a problem, but we couldn't get it to the point that Eric has. So there's so much insight to take from this of, of what those success metrics are and how to get there and where the failure points are and how to power through them. And I just, I just love what Eric brought to the table in this discussion. I hope all of you did as well. Thank you for listening as always so much to learn so much to share. Uh, I keep learning from every one of our guests and I hope you do the same as well. So thank you for being here and remember to subscribe rates, share with a friend, all these good things that can help us continue to grow our podcast. This work in sports podcast is important to us and I hope it's important to you as well. Thank you for being a part of our community and you know, I'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>